Did you hang up? No, I just said click. Shh. It's the Film Flamers. Hi, I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. Guys, uh, this is going to be a very special episode and maybe a little bittersweet because... As it turns out, this is going to be the last outing for the Film Flamers. Whoa! April Fool's! <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I had this whole thing where I was just like, Chris oh. and I just can't get along. <laughs> <laughs> so he beat me to the April Fool's punch, guys. But that's it. This is April Fool's. And in the spirit of the holiday, is this a holiday? Yes. The Observance. Yes. Uh, we wanted to pick a really funny horror movie, and it just so happens that from Chris's past, one of his favorite horror films is... Student Bodies. And so we leaped at the chance. Leapt. We leapt. We yes. leapt at the chance. To, to, to <laughs> we leapt, if you will. <laughs> to cover this film. Uh, it's hilarious and, um, you know, has a nice cult following, which we'll get into, I'm sure, in a little bit. So the history I have with this movie is I saw it with my sister when I was really, really, really young. And I had absolutely no idea that it was a, that it was a comedy or it was supposed to be funny at all. Like, uh, when, well, we when kids, you say really young, can you like give me just a roundabout age? I was probably like six years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or even younger. I don't know. I could have been five, six years old. I mean, it came out in, um, 81. Yeah. And you know, I was born in 82. Right. So it was on cable or something. They probably didn't have to cut much out because there's no nudity. There's no blood or any or guts or anything like that. There's only that one little break in the middle of the film that we'll talk about later that makes it an R-rated film where it was an R-rated at the time. And, uh, of course, as a child, everything's very earnest and sincere and straightforward uh, in child programming. You know, Sesame Street and the Muppets and, like, you know. Mr. Rogers, yeah. Mr. Rogers and everything else. We weren't uh, trained to understand parody, satire, um, things like that at that time. And we didn't understand that anything couldn't be, you know, straight. So we were literally watching what was going on on the screen, you know, and the actors overacting and all of that stuff that that wasn't overacting to us. I mean, compared to Muppets, (laughs) right? So, uh, yeah, this movie scared the crap out of me when I was really, really young. But watching it, I mean, I think I picked it up um, or happened to cross it when I was in my preteens and I instantly understood that it was parody. Right. And uh, I understood it from there. And since then, it's been like one of my, you know, perennial favorites uh, to watch as a comedy horror. It's just so hilarious uh, to me. And, and my, some of that might be nostalgia or understanding that used to, I used to think of it as a scary film. But it, it's just funny that it's it's completely opposite to what I thought it was, because even in the marketing of the film, it's marketed as at last the world's first comedy horror movie. <laughs> Right. And so uh, it's just interesting to see that in two different ways from childhood to teen to adulthood and, and three different kind of layers of understanding. And that's super interesting. I mean, I'm, I I didn't see this movie until I was a teenager because I used to stay up and watch like USA up all night. Right. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they can show this on cable and not have to cut a lot out. And so that was my first you know, outing with this particular movie. And I obviously knew it was comedy right away at the age that I watched it. So I'm kind of envious that I couldn't have seen this movie and thought it was an actual horror movie. (laughs) It might've been my first foray into horror outside of, you know, things that were horror adjacent, like, like that happened to be in wizard of Oz. But even if you think about it, wizard of Oz is very, very straightforward. What is bad? What is good? You know, what's supposed to be scary. What's not supposed to be scary because it's not parody at all. Right. Right. And we'll get more into the difference between satire parody and things like that later. But uh, let's go ahead and introduce the film. 
uh, Student Bodies is, of course, a 1981 horror comedy film uh, that was marketed as the first comedy horror movie, right? Uh, it was written and directed by Mickey Rose. And uh, Student Bodies is actually the first film to satirize the popular slasher genre, mm -hmm. being a spoof of slasher films like Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Prom Night, but also paying homage to other popular films of the time like Carrie and The Shining. So without further ado, this is Student Bodies. Hello, it's me, the heavy breather from every horror film you've ever seen. You know me, first I terrorize my victim by the telephone. <laughs> then I choose my murder weapon. A gun? Nah, too easy. A hatchet? Nah, I always use a hatchet. For this movie, I want something... Very frightening and deadly. Ah. Then I climb the stairs to surprise my victims. Why do they always live upstairs? This movie's a comedy, so killing's not so easy. The movie's called Student Bodies, so I picked the typical American high school. This is Mr. Peters, your principal. Mr. Peters! You're naked! Yes, Toby. All these years I've been secretly naked underneath my clothes. Meet the rest of the faculty. The shop teacher, the guidance counselor, the janitor with the IQ of a handball. What's he doing? Sex education teacher. This is totally unnecessary, ugly, and gets in the way. Your mother? She also told me that sex was bad and dirty, uh, but only with my father. With everyone else, she said it was great. <sighs> I'm into murder myself, and student bodies are going to be everywhere. <laughs> Dead bodies downfield. 15 yard penalty. <laughs> See student bodies, a killer comedy. On Halloween night, or was it Friday the 13th? No, wait, it was it was Jamie Lee Curtis's birthday, that's right. <laughs> what? A teenage girl, Julie, is babysitting in a quiet suburban home. Outside, a galoshes and kitchen glove wearing killer, later known as The Breather, slowly walks up to the front of the house. While studying, Julie receives a phone call from her friend Toby to discuss school assignments and to warn her about the dangers of having her boyfriend over for sexual encounter while babysitting. All the while, the breather is watching her from outside. She leaves the door unlocked when she goes to investigate the strange meowing of a dog outside. <laughs> I fucking love that joke. <laughs> yeah. After receiving some rather salacious calls on the house phone from the killer, <laughs> uh, Julie is terrified when her boyfriend Johnny comes for a surprise visit. The couple naturally decides to go upstairs to Bone in the master bedroom. But before they begin, she demands that he shower first. Meanwhile, the killer walks in through the unlocked front door, only to discover a veritable cache of murder weapons laid out before him on an office desk. 
An axe, a rope, and several knives are just a few of his options, but the killer ultimately decides to use a solitary paperclip resting next to the gun. <laughs> Was it really next to the gun? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There was a paperclip, and then there was a box of paperclips running his land. <laughs> and he literally, like, grabs the one paperclip. Later you know that he took the box, too, or whatever, right, yeah. but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. While Johnny's in the bathroom taking his shower, Julie is paperclipped to death by the breather. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't. <laughs> this is, like, the one most, this most horrific scene is her fate. <laughs> Coming out of the bathroom, Johnny discovers her corpse in the bed, but is suddenly stuffed into a jumbo-sized trash bag alive. You're not responding to my mail <laughs> The funeral for the two teens is attended by many of the more popular kids and is presided over by the school principal, Mr. Peters, who says that this is the worst day for this to happen because of the number of big events happening at the school. The big parade, the big game, and the big dance, just to name a few. Toby, a studious brunette, played by Kristen Ryder, and her forever platonic BFF, Hardy, played by Matthew Goldsby, are in attendance. And Toby explains that her friend shouldn't have been having sex, and that's likely the cause of her death. Meanwhile, she spies her friend Bertha. God, I hate that name. (laughs) No offense. Meanwhile, she spies her friend Bertha and her boyfriend sneaking off to fuck because, well, funerals make him hot. While Bertha waits in the back seat of a car for her boyfriend to return with a rubber, she's murdered by the breather with a horse head bookend. Her boyfriend is stuffed into a trash bag alive when he returns. Toby, marching up to chastise them, discovers their bodies. Principal Peters and Miss Mumsley, his secretary? Vice principal? I have it's, no idea. It's who unclear. She was, really. It's just the old lady that follows him around. Are fearful of the ramifications of the murder spree and agree to keep things quiet for the good of the school and the big day. As the story continues, so do the murders, and the number of suspects begins to mount. Could it be sex-hating Principal Peters and elderly Miss Mumsley, who may just be his mother? Could it be the shop teacher, Mr. Dumpkin, who's obsessed with creating wooden horsehead bookends? Or is it mentally disabled Malvert, the janitor, who always seems to wear the same galoshes and kitchen gloves as the killer? There seems to be no limit to the potential suspects, as the suspect list even includes a school nurse, a penis-hating science teacher, as well as the notably and playfully psychotic school counselor, Dr. Sigmund. (laughs) Please call me daddy. (laughs) Wait, don't call me daddy. (laughs) Don't call me daddy anymore. (laughs) Toby and Hardy are suspicious of the school's staff and decide to solve the mystery of the death themselves. In Woodshop, they learn that Mr. Dumpkin, the shop teacher, has an overly obsessive fondness for horsehead bookends. They also find a bloody bookend and lots of large trash bags. Later, while changing for Jim, Toby is stalked by the breather and chased throughout the school to the basement, where she finds Malvert, the odd brain-damaged janitor with some sexual issues. Like Didn't just... he have like a girl, fake girlfriend, like a blow-up doll? Yeah, twice. Yeah, <laughs> one blew, blew away, away and he got another one. Yeah, <laughs> girls are sluts or something. It's <laughs> <Yeah, that's laughs> terrible. Uh, I just like when he like reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the fucking crossword puzzle instead of what you think's coming. Yeah. He's like, wait, <laughs> five-letter word starts with the same creep. Yeah. <laughs> At the big parade, all of the prom queen nominees are riding on floats, and Dagmar, atop a papier-mâché bull, has really turned on her boyfriend because, well, hollow bulls make him hot. (laughs) He climbs on the float and convinces Dagmar to climb into the bull for a quick nooner. (laughs) 
when he leaves to tell the driver to slow down so they can have quiet, calm, relaxing sex, apparently, <laughs> Dagmar is murdered with an eggplant. <laughs> Her boyfriend is stuffed into a trash bag upon his return. Toby, who saw them climb into the bowl, has gone to investigate and warn them. She discovers the bodies in front of the staff and parade crowd, causing everyone to believe she's the killer. She is ordered to see the school shrink, Dr. Sigmund, who asks her lots of questions about her ideas of sex. To create further confusion, the killer contacts most of the suspects over the phone as they're meeting to discuss the murders in the principal's office. Cleverly disguising his voice by speaking through a rubber chicken, he confesses to all the murders and warns that there may be more to come at the big game. Click. Did you just hang up on me? No, I just say click. Oh. <laughs> Later, at the big game, prom queen candidate Joan and her boyfriend descend under the bleachers to get it on. Joan feels there is too much trash, but her boyfriend protests because, well, trash makes him hot. <laughs> he hurries off to find a broom and a blanket to appease her. Joan is murdered by the breather with a dusty eraser, and her boyfriend is, again, stuffed into a large trash bag. Toby, who apparently has nothing better to do than gawk at couples, has climbed under the bleachers to stop them. She is hit by a falling piece of trash and is knocked unconscious somehow. <laughs> it's like a fucking cup. <laughs> <laughs> when she awakens, Toby hides in a body bag and is taken to the school with the corpses, where she hears that she is being sought as the killer. <laughs> you'll have you'll have to watch the movie to understand that reference. Yes. <laughs> Determined to solve the mystery. Toby and Hardy decide to steal Principal Peter's keys to look for clues in his office. Toby dons a disguise, courtesy of the drama department, who is staging the non-musical version of Grease, and they head into the dance. Patty, the only living prom queen candidate left, is sure that she will win, and is waiting to hear her name called to get her crown. A sexily disguised Toby flirts with Principal Peters, but is unable to steal his keys because he's suddenly announced as the prom queen himself, <laughs> much to the chagrin of Patty. She and her boyfriend head to the woodshop for sex, where they startle Mr. Dumpkin, who has just orgasmically finished creating his horsehead bookend. After he hears them coming, he hides, because he believes it's the killer, and in his hiding place, he witnesses the two being murdered. Afterward, he's accosted by the breather, who murders him as well. Of course, he makes him oil his chainsaw before he's murdered with it. <laughs> oil the chainsaw, put it back where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> Toby enlists Janitor Malbert to steal the keys for her, and she heads off to the principal's office where she finds suspicious files on the murdered women marked up in an aggressively anti-sexual manner. Doesn't she open a file and it's like, look in the other cabinet? Yeah, look in the other cabinet. Well, she finds one of the files with a name on it, and they're like, look in the other cabinet. It's like she a file on Reagan and like paid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Principal Peters catches her and starts a tirade about sex and his attraction to women. After removing his clothes for sex with Toby, he attacks her when she rebukes his advances. He accidentally kills himself during the scuffle, and she runs into the safety of Miss Mumsley's office. She appears and explains that she has been helping cover up Principal Peter's murder spree, and has, in fact, been killing the boyfriends like the garbage they are. Oh, and she is, in fact, Principal Peter's mother. And actually, his father. <laughs> You're his father? <laughs> No, you're his mother? <laughs> yes, and his father. Father hyphen mother. Father hyphen mother. <laughs> Toby is chased by Ms. Mumsley through the halls of the school. Soon she finds that the entire staff, including all of the dead students that were killed, are chasing her. In her panic, she falls from a window to her untimely death. 
Waking from a terrible dream, Toby is surrounded by her friends, teachers, and her friend's own BFF, Hardy. Apparently, she's been in a swine flu-induced fever dream this whole time. <laughs> she explains that she dreamt about all of her friends getting murdered for having sex. The counselor tells her that the swine flu nightmare was caused by sexual repression and urban stress. I'm just kidding. Oh my god. <laughs> Urban stress. I have that. She finds that, in reality, everyone is different. The shop teacher is really the French teacher. The principal is really the janitor. Miss Mumsley is actually a man. And the mentally disabled janitor is actually a well-spoken academic. That's absurd. Moving on from her sexual repression-induced swine flu nightmare... <laughs> Toby walks into the woods with her now-boyfriend, Hardy, to have sex with him. After she undresses, she finds, to her horror, Hardy is wearing kitchen gloves as he begins to breathe in a familiar, creepy manner and proceeds to murder her. <sighs> I can't even do it. That hurts. <laughs> One hour later, at her funeral, <laughs> he apologizes to her grave that he had to kill her due to losing his respect for finally becoming sex positive. In response... Toby's arms burst from the ground and begin to strangle him. <laughs> the end. Fiend. We know that that was kind of a long synopsis, but it was just filled with so much comedy gold that we just couldn't help ourselves. That's right. There's no way to avoid it. And when discussing a movie like this, is well, like synopsizing a movie like this, it's kind of hard to not put in some of the gags because that's what the movie is. A straight synopsis of student bodies would sound... Almost ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I searched high and low on the internet trying to find the budget for this movie, and I could not find an exact number. In fact, I couldn't find any number. The only thing that's listed is the box office, and it took in $5.2 million, which I suppose in the 80s is not you know anything to scoff at, but certainly not the numbers that horror movies were bringing in at mm -hmm. the time. As far as uh, reviews, it's standing at a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's out of out of eight reviews. Yes, but more than half the people on the audience score liked it. Right, it's at 51%. 51%. Yeah. So, <laughs> a little bit more than half. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, the people who watch this movie, or even people like you who look back on it fondly, will go and write a favorable review. You know, so... Yeah. Um, I know some critical reception of the movie. Uh, the New York Times called the film a real disappointment, writing that it uh, slowly topples over as you watch it, like watching a stand-up comedian in the act of failing. And I was like, that what? seems really harsh to me. But you know what? It was the first kind of foray into right. you know, horror comedy as far as the parody is concerned. Exactly. And a lot of this went into like farce territory. So I would, I would honestly think that... Without this film, like things like Scary Movie wouldn't really be the thing or they certainly wouldn't be the same. No. Well, and then, you know, obviously there have been, you know, like farces or spoofs that were made before this one. And so like people, uh, someone from the Los Angeles Times wrote, uh, the film has some very funny moments, but it's definitely not another airplane. Yeah. So I don't even think it was received as favorably as some other, you know, spoof movies have been in the past. Could, but, but could you imagine if Leslie Nielsen was in this movie? Oh my God, I would just die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only other one that I thought... Um, meant anything was Gene Siskel because if, if I see those names and I sort of like you know stop on it uh, he gave it two out of four stars writing that it exposes all of its comic tricks in the first reel suggesting that the genre itself is not all that deep and there may not there may be less to parody than one might think which I think is completely false it was constant man yeah. it was just uh, you know even if it wasn't 
direct parody. There were so many moments in this film that were just, you know, visual humor and just, exactly. just like gags that just kept happening. It just never lets up. What I think really, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about some more about the lasting effects of comedy, is that this movie was released sort of toward the end of the golden age of the slasher movie. And even a, a you know, a comedic farce of slasher movies at that point was going to be received poorly by critics. So yeah. they, they were going to pan this movie regardless. And it's been kind of forgotten because I, I feel like most people haven't seen this. And a, a few years ago, at least it was kind of hard to find. At least now you can buy or rent it on Amazon. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had not seen this movie since I saw it on like USA Up All Night. With This is the first time I've ever seen this movie without commercials in it. We're rewatching it for this podcast. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a really fun visit. So this movie is also like just filled to the brim with true unknowns as far as <laughs> actors and the the director. I just didn't think I thought it would be like a one off. But when I dug into the research a little bit, Mickey Rose is actually a lifelong friend of Woody Allen and they would actually skip high school together and then they would go on to like go to NYU and uh, of really? course before Woody Allen dropped out and actually they, they were they remained lifelong friends and they worked on uh, several Woody Allen films together. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And uh, Mickey's earliest work um, before he actually started shooting films, and I think he just shot with this one. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> it's the same movie. Yeah. Uh, was he actually started kind of transitioned into writing, um, or actually he was a writer before? He may have even gone to the film school at NYU for for film writing. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, it doesn't really say, but uh, his earliest work was actually for Sherry Lewis's sock puppet Lamb Chop. <laughs> Fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and later he would write for Johnny Carson, uh-huh. Dean Martin, Sid Caesar, and the Smothers Brothers, and for the sitcom All in the Family. So he was a comedy writer. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2013 at the age of 77. That's a ripe old age. But uh, I just thought that was a really interesting little anecdote about the director, and because uh, I didn't think that he had anything to do with anything else ever. You know, this film was shot on a shoestring budget, you right. know, in Katy, Texas. Woo! Texas. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's. Well, I don't it's, know. Should we be proud about that? I don't I, yeah, I don't know. It stood the it stood the test of time. Yeah. As far you know, it's still findable. It's still there. People are still talking about it. Just, um, I think we should uh, do our job to to make sure that the masses know about it. A I think bit so more. too. That's right. The tens of people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, we're up to like twelve now. I think oh, it's okay. Yeah. I do know watching the movie recently, and I saw the producer credits said Alan Smithy, right, and it made me laugh on the couch because that's. That's what people put on there when they don't want to list their real name, an Alan Smithy film. And I was just like, oh, I could, I could not remember anything about the movie. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, this is going to be bad just seeing that. But I was dead wrong. This movie is filled to the brim with comedy, right? And I, that's what it's supposed to do. But it seems like you're assaulted almost with comedy, right? And that's what what a farce or a spoof movie would do. I mean, this movie itself got me thinking about horror comedies. And if you know, stay tuned for later on in the month, we'll be counting some down. But I got to thinking about the difference between like a parody or a satire or a farce or spoof, Mm -hmm. as some people call them, right? And, you know, the the differences between them and, and where this movie sort of fits into that. According to Google, the definition of a parody is an imitation of the style of a particular writer, artist, or genre with deliberate exaggeration for comedic effect. And a satire is the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics or other topical issues. Yeah, it's kind of an umbrella, right? So satire is kind of the umbrella and parody kind of works into that underneath it. Right. And then farce is kind of a, an offshoot of parody, right? So this is 
Farces, of course, when things get like so exaggerated to an extent that it makes them improbable, if not impossible. Exactly. Right. And that's where you get some of these like airplane and. Which is like a know. direct imitation of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. So they're parody farces, basically. But uh-huh. they're, it's all under the umbrella of satire. But not that any of that really, truly matters when thinking about this film. It's, uh, it's interesting, nonetheless, to see what the tools are when you're kind of comparing to original works. And of course, all of this is to parody the thriving slasher genre that was happening at the time. We're talking 78, 79, 80, 81. Even in the titles, the title cards for this film, it mentions like 20-something horror movies were made. None of them lost money like last year or something. That's right. 26 films. There were 26 horror films released last year. None of them lost money. Yeah. And it was like, it, it almost had to like prove its own existence in its uh, marketing in that way, even in, in so far as to going into the title card to kind of explain its own existence that way. And uh, that just tells you a little bit about the atmosphere it was coming in, uh, especially considering that 25% Rotten Tomatoes score, mm-hmm. right? I think it's a lot more accepted today. And I feel like if the, this movie came out today, it would have higher scores than 25. And I would think Maybe too. 30. you think that high (laughs) i know that i mean like parody happens when you have like an oversaturation in the market that's why you have movies like airplane because they had so many disaster movies like that or you have movies like the naked gun because there was a resurgence in like detective film and you know um yeah and everything's gonna try and strike while the iron is hot exactly you know and we see that again and again and again we saw that with uh you know like silence of the lambs and copycat you know Mm -hmm. and there's just every genre when they hit like harry potter and lord of the rings they spawned a huge thing of fantasy resurgence Right. And some of that is it doesn't mean that they're copying. It just means that it's the time to do it. Game of Thrones probably wouldn't have been made into an HBO show if Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings high fantasy had not been made and successful first. That is exactly true. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that at this particular time, 1981, we're getting toward the the end of the golden age of the slasher. And I think that typically people see that from like 1978 to 1984 ish. Yeah. From Black Christmas and Halloween all the way up until, you know, like Jason Voorhees and you know mm-hmm. Friday the 13th and all of that and and so and there's direct call outs in this movie to all those things and you know from listening to our past episodes we love a film that you know calls out another and from the the get go of the opening scene where they're showing the house that she's babysitting in where it says Halloween Right. And has the, the turkeys gobbling in the background, which is by far my favorite joke in the movie. It's like Halloween. The turkey's like, come on, come on. I didn't even notice that until you told me. And oh my God, I cracked up. He I loses just could it not every stop time. laughing. Yeah. And honestly, this is a really interesting film to watch because like all of those films had those tropes that you that are kind of older or already recognized in pop culture mm-hmm. due to, you know, obviously called out and satirized more than parodied in Scream. Uh, with the rules of the horror films and that sex is bad. You know, if you have sex, you're going to get killed. And this was very, very early. It's like a surprisingly woke film for 1981 to be very sex positive, to be as sex positive as as it is. Well, I think, too, if you look on like the dual sides of that particular coin, you have these slasher movies that are coming out at the time that is saying, you know, it's bad to do drugs, it's bad to have sex. You're going to get caught. You're going to get murdered. And on the other side, you have all these like teen comedies coming out that have nothing but people having sex. Right. Yeah. It's like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Porky, stuff like that. You know, so, I mean, like there's all that's in the market and you have no idea like, you know, where the actual community lies or like the general public lies on that particular idea. I know that. I mean, 
this is going to sound really bad as a gay man, but when did the AIDS crisis didn't start until like sort of the mid eighties, the mid eighties, the early mid eighties, right? When it's being news, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that after that, you know, there really is a big, you know, resurgence in sex is bad, but it was happening early, early in slasher films. Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting that um, that's the journey our heroine had to basically go on was to become more sex positive because mm-hmm. she was essentially one of those people that was, you know, she was the final girl studious brunette trying to say, sex is bad. You're going to get caught, you know, and it kind of uh, flipped that on its head by making her have to go through the journey that sex is good. You know, like sex is a normal thing. That's right. Like you shouldn't be so, you know, often, of course, in the end she gets killed for it anyway, but she has the last word or I the mean, last action. At least she, <laughs> she goes so far as to have that button on her shirt that says no. Right. And no, her, it's her not sweater. on her shirt. It's on her bra. Wait, I mean, she takes her <laughs> shirt off and there's another button that says for the last time I said, no, <laughs> I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, there's so much of that. So, I mean, like there's all this like Christian coalition, right wing stuff going on in the eighties and it's being parodied here. So I, I, it's just fun to watch. Um, what really struck me a lot in this, and I had to go back and do a little research, was I was like, well, I know there were a lot of slasher movies at the time, and I wanted to go back and just see how saturated the market was. And there is just like a shit ton of movies that were released. And with the popularity of like cable and home video on the rise, people were making tons of these movies. And so it's not you know unthinkable for them to have made this parody. I think that it's you know super, super smart they made it this particular time. But that also got me thinking about parodies in general and how long can they last? And like, you know, is it forever memorable as a comedy? Do we go back and look at this and say that it's funny, you know, because I mean, at the time it's very pop culture. And now I think that the people who are going to find this movie, the funniest are actual horror fans who have seen some of these slashers. Oh, sure. And I think part of it, its lasting power was just based on its dismissal at the time compared to things like airplane. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I don't think people really understand that there was, there were horror comedies or at least parodies before like scary movie. Oh yeah. And this is the template, right? Yeah. And like comparing the two, and I know that, you know, for, you know, the, the younger listeners out there of our podcast are going to remember scary movie probably more than this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, even we've seen scary movie. There's a huge difference in the two. I think that this one is very positive when it comes to its message about sex, ultimately, in the movie. Whereas Scary Movie is problematic. I just rewatched it recently after watching Student Bodies because I was you know, interested to see how it held up. And I cringed halfway through it. There's so many homophobic jokes and like crazy racist jokes in that movie. And it was just really uncomfortable for me to watch. I laughed, you know, at parts and there's so many gay jokes in that movie. And I was, I was a little offended I never get offended. So, I haven't seen it in so long. Yeah. And I hadn't either. I hadn't, I'd totally forgotten some of these gay subplots in that movie. And I was just like, God, if someone were to make scary movie today, I think that it would bomb. I think that people would say there's a problem with this kind of writing and this kind of comedy. Yeah. I think if student bodies were made today in the same vein that it was made in 1981, I think it would be received a lot differently. Yeah. I think it would be received well. Yeah. And that's why I say, I feel like it's surprisingly woke. You have potential bad guys saying, you know, to her, you don't belong in this shop class like where why do you you know exactly and doing like that but it's kind of proving all this stuff wrong so it's kind of in a way ahead of its time but perfect for what it was trying to parody yeah agree at the same time 
why would you think all the women are always killed so like creatively with a different weapon each time and take so much time to kind of show that versus the men are just kind of placed inside the large trash. But I feel like, I feel like that is kind of a statement on these slasher films where it's always the woman that they take the time with. Um, and that men are just kind of like the throwaway, like literally as far as just like get them out of the way so we can like put the camera back on the woman and kind of like, I don't know, male gaze kind of way. I don't, I may be overanalyzing this a little bit, but I feel like there's something there to mine. And, um, I think really, cause I mean, if you look at movies like, uh, Friday the 13th, for example, I think that some of the male deaths in that movie are just as equally bad as some of the female does. Kevin Bacon getting an arrow through the throat. You know, it's fairly memorable. I think in this particular instance, all the murders had to do with comedy and repetition, right? Isn't there some sort of like rule of three in comedy or whatever, like that the more repetitive a joke gets, the funnier it gets, right? And so they're just trying to create some sort of repetition with that. However, to your point, yes, I think the entire movie was about women getting killed for having sex and not men. Well, there's a lot of on the surface comedy in this film. It's super obvious, but I think there's a little bit more depth here than than is allowed at first notice. Oh, agreed. And I think that's one of those things, which is is just like, okay, all these women are are getting kind of like the the creepy male treatment and mm-hmm. then the men are just kind of getting brushed aside and like put into a trash bag and that's it like they don't even have like they don't even suffocate they're just put into a bag and that's it they're done <laughs> you know they don't really show anything for the women either but it's just that's where the focus is and i think it's just it may just be the from the perspective of the killer uh as far as where that's coming from and it may not be deeper than that i just thought there was an interesting choice to be so consistent with that as far as the different treatment of the murders between the women and the men I think mostly I chalk that up to the ending of the movie where we figure out who the killers actually are, right? And I mean, I don't, I can't attribute anything else than the fact that she said, I just put them into trash bags. You know, I mean, yeah. that was just the reason for it. I think that the the bigger takeaway than just the women getting killed as opposed to the men is the, the comedic effect of using whatever weapon a killer could happen to find in a slasher movie because they do that. They're like, oh, there happens to be this bat or there happens to be this knife they pick up, right? And the same situation applies in this movie. However, he goes for like the the silliest fucking weapon he could possibly find in every single instance, yeah, right? So Mm -hmm. an eggplant. I I wish to God I could see how she died by that eggplant. I cannot remember if they showed it or not. They don't. And that's what – so this movie is a crazy anomaly as a parody of slasher movies who go out of their way to have as much sex and gore and blood as possible. This movie has nary a breast. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of that, the film was given an R rating just because of a segment about a half hour in where the executive producer is essentially talking to the camera and saying, Ladies and gentlemen, in order to achieve an R rating today, a motion picture must contain full frontal nudity, graphic violence, or an explicit reference to the sex act. Since this film has none of those, And since research has proven that R-rated films are by far the most popular with the movie-going public, the producers of this motion picture have asked me to take this opportunity to say, fuck you. 
Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But that leads me into it's like, okay, everything in this film would be like PG-13 today, oh, except yeah. for one thing. And I think that one thing is the thing that would make it R-rated or higher right now, mm-hmm. which is... I know where you're going. Which is that, you know, I was shocked to see the, the prawn cocktail coming out of that phone. Well, yeah, that was, I mean, and here... I swear to God, when and I was a kid, by, I thought it was spit. It's not spit. And by <laughs> prawn, prawn cocktail, cocktail, I mean, uh, you know, man blast, baby gravy, demon seed, <laughs> cock chowder. <laughs> the red eye surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, that's, that's coming, literally coming through the phone. Well, I shouldn't maybe say coming through the phone. <laughs> Fuck. The message came across. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. <laughs> so I, I don't understand how they could maybe it was ambiguous enough that people like, you thought it was spit my sister didn't understand we didn't understand what it was we just thought it was like yeah, yeah I literally because I just assumed that he, I mean I don't know because I mean when I saw this movie I had to have been like 13, 14 right and I just assumed that you know they were making a joke about him having the phone so close to his mouth that his spit was coming out but we were talking about this off mic today guys and he, he was like oh yeah the cum and I was like what are you talking about <laughs> so even as an adult watching it and I've seen cum but I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was kind of, yeah, it's kind of off, but I was like, what? I was like, I'm so shocked that they put that in there. But of course we saw call me by your name and that was even oh. grosser. So yeah, but it's sweet. <sighs> anyway. Um, I think more shocking than that sort of, I mean, and also on the flip side to other slasher movies or what it's parodying, there's, there's no breasts in this movie, but we can kind of see a little peen in the darkness, right? And the first kill when her boyfriend's coming out of the shower and he's naked. And I mean, you can't really see a whole lot, but he's definitely naked on camera. Yeah. And I think today male nudity like that would certainly get you an R rating. Yeah, so it's just interesting change of times. That's right, because, because even today, PG-13 yeah. movies are allowed one F-bomb. Yeah, they're allowed to say fuck. But, you know, back then, nudity was a little bit better, you know, more okay. Like, you had things like Logan's Run with uh, full-on, full-frontal nudity from male, you know, and that was accepted kind of in the 70s and 60s and 70s, you know, going into the 80s, probably. Right. But somehow we had that, you know, that the Christian Revolution type of thing in the 80s, the Reagan Revolution and all That's that. That's right. And uh, and all of that sexual stuff was was really kind of uh, seen as bad. And mm-hmm. you see that reflected in the culture. That's what the R rating was from, was saying, fuck you, rather than seeing any kind of ambiguous peen or actually showing semen on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> like those things were okay at the time, apparently. You know, it's just like, I don't know. Just that one word. Yeah. So times have changed. And that's the only time they say it in that movie, too. There's like, n- there's nothing in this movie that's bad. Yeah. I mean, violence is all off camera and even the stuff that's on camera is very goofy, you know? So, I mean, it's, I don't know. It was, it's, it's an amazing time capsule of a movie to watch in comparison to what we see today and to think about what was released after that. So, I mean, the horror movies that came out post the golden age of the slasher are almost family driven to a point. You have a lot of the like fantasy horror movies like Gremlins, you know, or like into like Beetlejuice or the Burbs. And I think we, we see a lot of these non R rated horror movies. And maybe that's because they came up with PG 13 around this particular time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the second PG 13 movie ever released was a horror film. So, I mean, it, the, the times they were a changing in the eighties and this is sort of like the last hurrah of like the, like the rebel cinema that we saw into the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You're staring at me blankly, too. <laughs> I just kind of glazed over. Okay, so this movie is a comedy, right? 
And we can't not talk about a comedy without talking about some of your favorite gags in the movie, your favorite quotes or lines, Chris. So what makes you laugh the most in student bodies? Oh gosh. I do. I love the line where he says, you're not responding to my maleness. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's so many moments, uh, the, you know, the thing when I was a kid that I, you know, or I guess a preteen that I really loved was like when the killer keeps stepping in the gum, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. And to me, that's just lame right now, you know, on this watching, but it's the, it's just like the conversations that they have, um, you know, just like the, I'm, I'm getting more into like the, the conversation they're trying to have about sexual repression, the psychologist is trying to like the counselor is trying to talk to her, you know, and say, be, be less formal, call me daddy. And then she goes into like how she was like abused <laughs> by her father or something. Don't call me daddy anymore. Don't call me daddy anymore. <laughs> you know, that scene is so funny when she's crying and he keeps handing her the most ridiculous things to dry her eyes with, like the card from the Rolodex or like the actual box of tissues. She's wiping his... away her, t- her tears with the box of tissues. Right. And then he hands her a pipe and she sort of catches one tear with the pipe and hands it to her and he throws it in the trash. I was just like, it's just a silly ridiculous movie yeah a lot of physical comedy a lot of visual comedy that's not scripted in necessarily to what they're saying and the stuff with the gum brings up an interesting point about my actual takeaway from this movie or my review of this movie i think it's hilarious i think it's funny and i think you know the more watches you do you're going to notice a lot more things however some of the jokes are just a little bit too long you know, but they happen so much so often that the ones that don't land, you're instantly going into another one. Right. Yeah. And so I could I forgive it for a lot of the lame type of stuff. And there's there's humor for the younger audiences and there's humor for like the, the older audiences. And I think there's something for everyone, obviously, because I've seen this at three different points in my life mm-hmm. and all three points I found different things entertaining in different ways. I kind of regret not watching it with you. Actually, out of all the movies we've covered so far, I think that you and I would have had a good time watching this together, or at least it's always interesting to me to hear when other people laugh at things in comedies. And I think if give it a couple more years, let's go back and watch it again to give me some time to forget and revisit. And I think it'd be a fantastic time to watch it together. And there's a lot of times where it's not like uproarious laughter, but you're just kind of smirking, you know, like she puts on the the grease costume, you know, and then (laughs) and every time she anytime she gestures or she touches (laughs) her boobs, incidentally, there's like a little like scraping balloon sound, (laughs) you know, just like little gags like that, that just they put a lot of detail into this film. And that's that's exactly why I like movies like Airplane. Do you like Airplane? I love Airplane. I mean, yeah, I. I oftentimes think, and when we were deciding on, you know, horror comedies, I was just like, I, I just don't like comedies that much. Surely you like Airplane. <laughs> don't call me Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> I, and then I was thinking to myself, I was like, I like comedies way more than I give myself credit for. Like they totally influence me on I, my daily life. I quote comedies like no other. And I think aside from horror, I probably watch a lot of comedies the next most. I, the next most, <laughs> the most, I like my dramas. I mean, I'm obsessed with the Oscars and things like that, but I don't give myself credit for the kind of comedies that I watch and, you know, things like airplane, things like student bodies have sort of affected me over the years and there's no way to forget it. Yeah. So my favorite line from student bodies, everybody, and you should go watch it just for this one. Uh, the principal says over the loudspeaker, hasn't there been enough senseless killing? Let's have a murder that makes sense. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> I 
Love it. <laughs> um, I also am now obsessed with horsehead bookends, and I'm going to get Chris for his birthday some horsehead bookends, but they have to be perfect. So I'm in the market for that sort of thing. Listeners, if you can make me some wooden horsehead bookends, please contact me. And, you know, we have t-shirts and mugs and things like that for sale, but I will not consider us successful until we have a Foam Flamers line of horsehead bookends <laughs> in the future. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's our takeaway. Yeah. Chris, what's that noise? Is that is that your phone going off? Yeah, I don't... yeah just stop. I think it looks like it's from my sister. Okay, just stop, stop recording. We're talking about student bodies right now, Penelope. <laughs> no, no. I'm, she left a voicemail. Let's, let's go ahead and play it. Okay, let me hear what she says. Hey, guys. It's your favorite listener. Um, since it's no longer my first time calling, I'm just going to launch into it. Um, Chris, how very dare you <laughs> cover this movie without me? How double dog dare you after all of the sentimental value that this movie has for us and our childhood? I feel so betrayed. So um, this movie, if you recall, we saw when we were in a young, you know, formative age and legitimately thought this was a scary movie. So now having rewatched it for the, I don't know how many times, but just recently, um, it strikes me as how absolutely naive we must have been. <laughs> this is in no way not a comedy. So um, my first question is, um, how is this rated R? Which, you know, fantastically was answered for me mid-movie. Because I didn't remember, first of all, like when I popped it in, I, I looked at the rating and I saw the, the R and I was like, I don't remember this being an R. And we saw it on like freaking cable. And, you know, again, like halfway through the movie, they answered that for me, which I'm pretty sure they just, you know, cut that part out for TV. Um, I'm pretty sure we saw it like midday when our parents were out too. So it's like... God, midday. Mm. I don't know. It's that kind of movie. Um... Uh, there were a couple times that, like, it legitimately got me, and it's been probably, I want to say, like, 10 years since I last saw this, and I just saw it again, um, like, two days ago, so I've been stewing on it for a minute, um, but I literally laughed at, like, the the first scene, like, all the product placement, like, it was, like, super over the top, and I was just like, <laughs> really? Um, which I guess was, you know, making a point. <laughs> And then the the bit with the phone, I I wrote, I literally wrote, was that what I thought it was? And then <laughs> yeah, it was. my second comment on that was, that is way not enough hand washing. <laughs> way not enough hand washing. Did you see that? It was like a splash in the water. No soap. I'm like, hell? Um, who are you? What's wrong with you? Um, and then the paperclip. I did not remember the paperclip thing. Um and like after like having like the whole like gamut of materials to choose from, settling on the paperclip was pretty hilarious. Although I do kind of wish that there were some other like completely inane things. Like everything was like totally over the top. But then maybe that's just like me being like all cabin in the woodsy. Um, Good point. Mm -hmm. And then like the next time, like I literally had to stop the movie because I was laughing so hard. Was the whole like. You're not responding to my mail. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! I seriously like 
lost it. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, and then <laughs> the next scene where I was just like, I it got like a, I don't know if it was like an outright laugh, but it was like amusement. It was the fixing the broken chicken with the ruler band. <laughs> like, that was completely unnecessary and yet kind of hilarious. Um, and the whole 75 cents an hour thing, like over and over and over. Like the first time I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? And like the third time I was like, okay, lady. And then the next time I was just like, okay, this is kind of funny. Um, but it took me a minute because at first it was just super shrill. And then my next point, and I'm wondering if this is where you and I developed the hatred for this name, but Bertha. And I was like, oh, oh, why? Ugh, what a terrible Bertha. name. Um, sorry to all you Berthas. Let's see. And then, let's see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I laughed heartily when she said, remove all these ugly little front pieces. I can't even say it. Remove all these ugly little front pieces. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Um, sexual repression causes swine flu? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> what the hell? It's a known fact. And then the last one, <laughs> The Stick. Dude, his name was The Stick? Anyways, I researched it. He apparently died and donated his body to science? Yeah. Mm. Anyways, fantastic. So I'm still totally disappointed that I don't get to discuss this with you, especially since I'm pretty sure it's going to be, like, a pretty amusing recording. And, uh... I always learn something from you and Robert, and I mean, I hope you can, like, feel, like, like seriously, like, student body style, feel the palpable disappointment coming through the phone, just oozing, because <laughs> oh, um, there. Do you feel it? It's there. We can see it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, let me answer some questions here. Is this a horror film? <laughs> horror comedy? Sure, okay. Um, is it a scary film? Unless you're under the age of, I don't know, seven and, I don't know, never been exposed to the world? Probably not. Hottest guy? I struggle because 80s is not a good decade for anyone. <laughs> um, and I would, I, would, I mean, if, you, if you're hard pressed and you need an answer, let me know and I'll call back in after some pondering, but Lord, I'm so glad that it's no longer the 80s and people, like, I don't know, are attractive now. <laughs> Hard same. <laughs> okay. Anyways. God, guys. Palpable disappointment. Oozing. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye. Well, thank you, Penelope, for all of your comments. I'm so sorry that you couldn't be part of the conversation, but alas, we must soldier on without you. You are our favorite guest star, and you're always here in the room with us, especially for this particular movie. Thank you for answering the Film Flamers questions, and I think it's time for us to answer some of the questions as well. Chris, is this a horror movie? No. Lies. Lies and slander. <laughs> Lies and slander. <laughs> it is the world's first comedy horror movie. Well, Thank yeah. you. Uh, or, you know, as the rest of us call it, horror comedy. That's right. Yeah. So, yes, of course, it has horror elements, and that's what it's parodying, right. you know? And I think there's a huge, huge uh, horror is like the largest genre of them all, easily, because mm -hmm. there's so much horror adjacency. And uh, obviously, comedy is just one of those 
you know, things that are Venn diagrammed into it. And I think it's, uh, I certainly think it's within the, the horror oeuvre. Yeah, I completely agree. I would consider this a horror movie only because, you know, it's making fun of it. Right? And for me, for me, it was certainly a straight up horror movie when I was a child. That's right. So sometimes genre bends to perspection. Mm-hmm. Wait, <laughs> sometimes genre bends to perspective. That's right. Um, had I seen this when I was a kid, I'm not quite sure I would have taken away the same thing you did. Cause when I was like five or six years old, I was already watching things like a night right on street. Um, but I know that I would have enjoyed it very much if I saw it when I was younger. So, and I mean, I would definitely consider this, you know, part of the horror genre if you want to, you know, say horror comedies or so on and so forth. So I think we've answered that question. Um, were you scared? Then student bodies. When I was a child, yeah, yeah, it scared the <laughs> shit out of me. Especially when she came out of the grave at the end, I did not see that coming. Yeah, I'd assume you hadn't seen Carrie by that point. Yeah, I didn't see the the phone scene coming either. Like <laughs> <laughs> twelve. Um, so to me, the scariest mental image in this, or this this scariest visual, is when. They discover that girl's body, the very first kill, and she's got all the paper clips stuck in it. Yeah. That was like the biggest like effects part of it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if I were younger, yeah, that probably would have scared me. Next to last question, because I'm going to add one. Hmm. Who's the hottest guy in this movie? So, to me, the hottest guy in this film is, I think, Patty's boyfriend, the military JROTC guy. We are on the same motherfucking page, sir. Well, also, when when she wakes up from this sexual repression, swine flu, <laughs> fever dream thing, he ends up being gay. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I saw online where they refer to that as a hippie, right? I'm doing the air quotes, guys. Um, but clearly, he's coming across as homosexual. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And another line from that movie is, homosexuality is the up-and-coming thing. So. Seriously. I'm <laughs> telling you, this film is woke. <laughs> yes. I love it. I agree. He's the hottest guy, you know? And I was like, all watching this movie, n- now when I'm watching movies I know we're going to cover, I'm like actively searching to see the hottest guy, even in the background, right? But he's it, I guess. When he the, makes that the first line guy, about, I struggled a little bit. The first yeah, time. he's cute. But when that that like ROTC guy is like under this uniform, it's a hot body, and I was like, "We'll take it off." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. All right. So, new question: um, Is there anything outlandish that makes you hot? Uh, like eggplants or I mean floats. Yeah, like a hollow bowl, bowl or a funeral. <laughs> You know? uh, I think they're trying to say that teenage boys could Are get just hot at like watching paint dry, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to have to say no. Yeah, I can't think of anything either. I guess that would be a fetish at our age, right? Yeah, so, a kink? No comment. Are you kink shaming me? <laughs> Not at all. I'm just curious. As yeah, I think I, our listeners are too. Yeah, I'm painfully vanilla. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sorry. So, yeah. Well, hotness or not, I think we both enjoyed this movie very much. I'm glad we got a chance to revisit it, and uh, we're interested to know what you think about our conversation on student bodies or what you think of the movie itself. Yeah, we're going to post a link to rent it or watch it on Amazon in the show notes, so check it out. We'd love to see what you think so we can update that Rotten Tomatoes score. That's right. I think a lot of people have not seen this movie, and they need to go out and see it. 
soon. If you do watch it, please let us know what you think on social media. You can find us at The Film Flamers on Twitter and Facebook. Or you can reach us on our website at filmflamers.com. And um, sort of brand new, if uh, you want to make your actual voice heard about anything, you can call the Film Flamers hotline. Just like my sister did. That's right. And you can reach us at 972-666-7733. Right. Aside from all those places, guys, we have tons of content on Patreon. Go look us up over there. Hours and hours of content, bonus stuff just for y'all. Um, you can find us at patreon.com slash thefilmflamers. And you can get all that bonus content for as little as $2. So go check that out. Well, after all this comedy, I'm feeling a little tired. Yeah, and being tired makes me hot. <laughs> So until then, guys, (laughs) you go off and be hot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have some very sweet dreams. (laughs) 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 It hurts when I do that.